Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined as always by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can follow us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. The date is Tuesday, July 23rd. And I don't... We're laboring here in summer, man. I I just don't know how much longer I can hold out until we get football. I got to tell you, we've reached that point in the year where... You start looking about maybe counting down how many weekends are left Mm -hmm. and start itching maybe for a little something other than watching the Tigers lose another game, you know. So, yeah, we are laboring, but we are here to serve. Shout out to everyone who listened last week, had a strong turnout. Yes. Sounds like everybody else was itching for something, too. Yes, very much appreciated. As always, we love you guys. Um we didn't make the call for content this week because we had such a good turnout last week. So uh, we've got some really awesome stuff to to get to. Um, Going to be a football-heavy pod, uh, and that's mainly because we don't celebrate the uh, you know the handing out of scholarships here at, at the only podcast. John, so care to comment? What you're referencing is in this past week, MSU offered made another offer to another uh, highly rated kid, but we celebrate. Um, not just offers like some schools in the Big Ten that are also in the state of Michigan. Mm. Um, we celebrate when they commit. And so, Ferris State is who you're cause talking about. Because it's a normal thing to do for an established program. Yes. So. so, thus, we are pretty much skipping basketball this week and jumping into football. And because it is the silly season of late July, where we just want to talk about stuff that could happen and things that we think are funny, uh, we are going to start with uh, the summer heat hot seat meter. We're heading into the the fall and, you know, all of the this is this guy's year to win stories are are getting ready to come out. So we thought we'd get ahead of it. Topical. Topical, thank you. uh, And get ahead of it and start talking about, uh, you know, which football coaches, which of the 14 Big Ten football coaches, math, it's awesome, uh, who's on, whose seat is the hottest, who's the coldest, and, and who might just not have a seat at all? So um, if you're familiar or you're not familiar with the podcast, uh, The Goodness Matrix, this is similar to The <laughs> Goodness Matrix. Uh, we make up categories as we go. It is up to us when and if they change. And there's no real rhyme or reason. Um, a lot of it is subjectivity. But we'll, we will give some data here. Um, but, Austin, you wanted to start maybe – on the coldest seats? Yeah, I think we should start from the, the safest leading up to the swampiest, if you will. Um, and before we actually dive into a temperature-based ranking, 
I thought we would just, you know, there's a couple guys who are either new or who are new hires in the Big Ten, some new, some fresh faces, um, where I thought it wasn't necessarily fair to grade out how hot or cold their seat is because it's their, well, it's practically, for all intents and purposes, their first season. Well, they haven't even had a chance to sit down in their office. Right. So there's no seat to be warm. Exactly. They've been standing this entire time. Um, so the first person is uh, with this, – this category is called who's to say. Who among us is to say whether these people do or do not have chairs? Uh, the first is – we're actually going to start with uh, Mike Loxley, head coach of uh, Maryland yeah. – University, University of Maryland, the Terrapins, the Turtles. Good get for them. Really good get for them. So former, if I recall correctly, offensive coordinator for Alabama? Yeah, for at least um, three games. Yeah, three. They go through so many offensive coordinators there just because people get head coaching jobs the moment that is on their their uh, office door. Yeah, and the the big thing about Loxley is that I believe he's like got Maryland ties Oh, he does, yes. And um, is a very good recruiter. Was I mean, not that it's hard. I'm pretty sure you and I could get at least one commit to Alabama. But um, Loxley apparently very involved in a lot of high-profile recruitings, has done a good job on the recruiting trail so far for Maryland. Um, they probably wish they would have had him when Dwayne Haskins was committed there, but I digress. Uh, he, you know, at a program like Maryland, you got to think he's going to get a, a fairly – long leash and um i don't know how much it'll help this year i will say they were sneaky competitive they're sneaky competitive every year and they come from actually like the dmv area is a pretty competitive uh high school football area and like pretty loaded with talent msu's gotten a ton of kids from there including the one that jumps out at me is darian harris the linebacker obviously everybody remembers him um really talented talent rich area could probably dip into pennsylvania and stuff like that but in terms of like here and now, year one, I don't think he'll be judged too harshly one way or the other. No, and you know, maybe 10 years ago, people were calling Michigan State the sleeping giant of the Big Ten. I think that title is now moved to Maryland for the reasons you just outlined. It's really yeah. fertile recruiting grounds. Um, you know, it is a basketball school, but I tell you, they would become a football school in a heartbeat if they became competent. So maybe Mike Loxley's their guy. But uh, a one school that is definitely a football school mm-hmm. and a man who could, in w- one week's time, go from who's to say to swamp butt yeah. category very quickly with the wrong outcome is Mr. Ryan Day. Yes. Uh, this is why I struggled to determine if these people were actually first-time head coaches or not. This is Ryan Day's, technically his first year as full-time head coach. He was 3-0 and last year, stepping in for Urban Meyer while he was away from the program, um, and st- he's already undefeated going into his first year, so it's basically Luke Walton of of the, the of an N- of NBA fame in college football. Um, he's in a really like, – we were talking about it before we started recording, but this is – in a lot of ways, Ryan Day is in a no-win position. Um, he is taking over a program that is almost literally saying, if we do not make the college football playoff and win our – conference, which is one of the best conferences in college football, the season is a failure. If we do not beat our two biggest rivals, Michigan State and Michigan, um, yeah, in whatever order, obviously, um, this season is a failure. Uh, you know, so, and Andy's replacing Urban Meyer. 
who was one of the greatest, you know, independent of what he may have done off the field, statistically one of the most successful head coaches in college football history. Um, and to put yourself in that position, not only like that, but also with like a lot of talent going out the door. Now they have a lot of talent coming in, but a lot of new faces playing. Um, it, you know, that's, that's hard. That's a, it's a really difficult position for him to be in. You know, he hitched his wagon big time and made, got a huge recruiting win in bringing Justin Fields, former five-star, like top two, uh, quarterback in the country, former Georgia player over to, uh, Ohio state and was able to get the waiver. Um, so he has, uh, got the Shea Patterson ability to play year one, um, but he's going to be thrown to a completely new set of targets outside of Austin Mack. They're going to be replacing people on the offensive line. The defense is a lot of new faces. Uh, it's going to be a majorly uphill battle. Well, maybe not uphill, but at least slightly inclined hill for uh, Ryan Day. He'll be fine. I mean, he'll be you know, fine. <laughs> to sum it all up, he'll be fine. <laughs> I'm not too worried about him and their perennial number one recruiting class. And I have 4.5 million reasons why. Um, I don't feel bad for him. <laughs> Fair for enough. Five years. I mean, he's making a ton of money, as he should as an Ohio State head coach. Um, I mean, so like we said, yeah, it's a lot of uh, they don't they don't take easing into it lightly in Ohio State. It is win now. You know, there's not a three year plan. It is a one year plan. So but he is. I think you said it earlier. He's the most volatile seat. He could oh, yeah. go from absolutely safe one week to they lose a bad game. They might not even do, need to lose for his seat to heat up. Oh, no, absolutely. So uh, Loxley and Day kind of getting a little bit of leeway early on here. Um, that leads us to our one and only – honestly, we should probably just give him his own division yeah. or his own classification here. Currently, he is categorized as Arctic, but we might just need to change it to Ferentz. And that's uh, Kirk Ferentz, Ferentz, however you want to say it, head coach at Iowa, entering his 21st year in he, Iowa. His um, head coach, his head, he can drink. His head coaching tenure can drink. That is honestly, it's honestly incredible. Like, he, I think he's got the best job in college football. Not bad. I mean... Eight and four, baby. Just churn them out. Every single year. And and people are perfectly happy. Credit to Iowa for just being the most self-aware school in the entire nation. Like, like, listen, we want to be eight and four every single year. This guy gets it done. We churn out NFL prospects in the offensive line every year. And, and we're good. And there's usually a defensive stud or two. And this year, by the way, uh, they've got A.J. Espensa, Espinessa, defensive yeah. end getting projected to go very highly. So they they might be a pretty decent uh, Iowa squad this year. Iowans are simple folk. All they need <laughs> is, you know, an upset every every couple of years or so. The Ohio State game, remember, they beat the breaks off of them a couple yep. years ago. And, uh, you know, maybe a sniff at a Big Ten West title happened a couple of years ago. And, you know, they're happy. They just like to go and have a reason to grill. I respect it. Them. So, Arctic reserved only for Kirk. It would be hard for me to see. There's only one other guy, maybe we'll talk about him in a bit, that could enter into Arctic, but you know, we'll get there. In the Chile uh, category, we have a handful. You want to go through? Yeah, we got four here in Chile. So, these are guys that it would take something pretty, I'd say pretty surprising and drastic for them to, to move 
into anything hotter than where they're at. Uh, whereas a couple might be able to move into the other category as well. Uh, fittingly, name-wise, Scott Frost is our chilliest coach. Yeah. Um, pretty incredible, given that he went 4-8 and eight in his first year and is surrounded by... Now, I, I will say I think he could swing if only because of the delusions of the Nebraska fan base. Oh, absolutely. He could fall down. And they're getting like they're going into this year with a ton, a ton of hype. They're getting picked to win that division by a lot of uh, people, and like I, I, I get it, I guess. But like, was Adrian Martinez that good that oh, they should be? The answer good? is no. Yeah, everyone has convinced themselves that he is, and that's fine. Let them live in this deluded world. So. Yeah, so he's the he's the chilliest, if only again because if he is successful, like if they go from four and eight to eight and four, I mean, he's got a lifetime contract, and I think he more or less has that now, unless he really falls on his face. And you know, we haven't really seen anything in his career. He had rough start last year, but a really bad and very injured team. Um, if he just keeps it going on an upward trajectory, he'll be there for a very long time. Uh, those Raskins, they have a short fuse. It's ten wins plus or bust. Remember, they fired yeah. both. For well, they just didn't like him. They didn't That's like him. He, he's a he's a uh, not the most pleasant fellow from time to time. Ouch. So now they've got the favorite son. Uh, not unlike some other programs. Um, next up is a guy who is kind of surprisingly still at this program in uh, Purdue's Jeff Brom, um, one of the hottest names on the coaching carousel, especially halfway through last year. I mean, was getting rumored to Louisville. I mean, I feel like I even read, you know, some other bigger schools with him, flirted with a few places. He's from there. From Louisville? I believe he went to school there. Yeah, he did. So that was a big part of it. Well, and so did his son. Isn't he like Brian Brahms' dad? Sure. Yeah, okay. Something like that. Probably. There can't be too many Brahms. Um so yeah, he you know flirted with his alum, uh, alma mater. Um, I doubt this is the last time we see his name pop up. Uh, should have a pretty exciting offensive team this year again, kind of standard Purdue at this point. Um, Rondale Moore might be the best offensive weapon in the entire conference. So he, uh, again, Purdue's one of those schools right now that's like, hey, we've got a guy that other people want. Let's just let's ride this out. Challenge for him this year will be uh, – surviving the second half swoon because they got caught by it pretty hard this year yeah i mean talk about this is a weird one because everyone was so high on jeff brom and purdue because of one game you know yeah and a little little more than one game i'll give them that they there's a, there's a lot of positive momentum in west lafayette for a first time in a long time and they beat another middling big 10 west team and purdue beat the hell out of ohio state and um, all of a sudden, everyone was really in on Purdue. And then, you know, they kind of fumbled through the end of the year. And then they lost to, was to Auburn 63-14. to 14 Yeah, that was bad. Year. And it was like, okay, maybe we need to slow down just a touch on the Purdue bandwagon. Um, that said, Jeff seems to be fairly safe, um, if only because he's a manageable schedule this year. Um, but we'll get, into, we'll get into that schedule a little bit. Yeah, so Jeff Brom, uh, second coldest seat. Third is um, Pat Fitzgerald, uh, who is officially making the transition into old guy yelling at Cloud with his cell phone comments this past week. Um, but still, 
probably as uh, close to as secure, like I said, with, as anybody in, in the Big Ten. He's entering his 14th year. Alma mater, obviously, has won the Big Ten West uh, before. And, um, you know, it, obviously, great head coach. They love him there. Uh, Northwestern is one of those interesting ones where if they're comfortable going eight and four every year, which they should be, then I don't know why he would ever like, he's never going to leave there to go to another school. And I got to think it would take a couple years of just sustained suckiness, like three straight bad seasons for them to let him go. Cause I don't know how you can get a guy that's going to come in and know the program. And and he kind of carried on coach Walker's legacy with who they all loved. Um, so he's in a pretty good spot, and again, he's in the more manageable division. So you got to think he's safer than some. Yeah, he's the closest to Arctic level for me. If a few more eight win years, and he's he's in Kirk Ferentz territory. Yeah, and again, last year he won the Big West title. Yeah, you know, they that's did. More than, that's more than uh, Scott Frost and Jeff Brom have been able to do to date. You know, Grand Pat's had way more years to do it, but he has also has a lot less resources. Maybe uh, well. Than, so did well did. let's not confuse practice facilities with resources well okay fair enough they have higher standards too from an academic perspective although produced a pretty damn good school um i just don't know if they follow the same guidelines that northwestern does and that you have to get into northwestern to be on the team yeah that's fair that's definitely so, fair. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say uh, he's done quite a bit with, with more limited, like you said, resources than I would argue most schools. Um, yeah. But that leads us to a guy that you could go in any direction with this guy, and I would agree. Yep, I totally Paul agree with Chris. you. Fifth year, he's 42-12, and 27-8, has won two Big Ten West titles, is 4-0 and in Bulls, and 2-0 and in uh, New Year's Six games. Yet, there's just a little bit of uneasiness about him in that it's like, when it, is he going to be breakthrough? Can he break through? You know, and that's the question with him. And, and is Wisconsin okay with maybe being upgraded Iowa? Like yeah. a nine-win year every year. Well, you got to wonder, too, like, at what point, like, if that division improves – what does that do to Paul Christ? Like, what does that do to Wisconsin? Because they've been, honestly, they've just been feasting on an absolutely dog shit conference for, or sure. division for a really long time. Uh, definitely his last handful of years, really since they split the, the, the divisions up, uh, RIP leaders and legends. But ever since they changed that, they've sort of just been eating against these schools that haven't done much. It's kind of been them against, you know, like you said, the occasional Iowa flare up. Uh, Fitzgerald and, and Northwestern obviously won a year. What's that? It's just Iowa and then Northwestern last year. Right. So, I mean, that's really been it. Um, and so you got to, I'll be interested. Like, they, they're always going to, the thing is with them, they're always going to play that same style of offense, especially as long as he's there. going to play that bully ball, Wisconsin, three yards in a cloud of dust, and just they're going to do what they're going to do. You got to wonder, though, as the talent level rises around them, if that's going to be enough. So I'm kind of with you where if they just keep winning, keep doing what they do, if they pull off an 11 and one year out of nowhere, you know, he might just stay there forever. Whereas if they, uh, if they go five and seven or like really kind of choke, you know, he might, uh, he might find a seat a little warmer. They didn't have a great record a year ago, if I recall. 
That's right. They, I believe, you know, they they had they really fell off, especially because of the preseason expectations. Yeah. You know, they they came out um, ranked in the top fifteen. You know, they top, and then they just people picked them to make the playoff. There were, you know, not naming names, not me, mm. but there were there were folks that that thought Wisconsin was the real deal, and and you know they they just didn't perform. Um, you know, and people was that a blip or was that was that what they are now, well, I guess we'll see. But brand new quarterback coming in, and you know it could get ugly. They were eight and five. It's not great. Well, this is that year, though. Like if you're following up the dis, because that's a disappointment. Even though you're eight and yeah. five, that's a disappointment. If you're going to follow that up with another kind of bounce back, then you're okay. You just move on, and you're like, all right, that was just an unfortunate season. But if you have another, if if you're seven wins, if you kind of keep declining, then I think that seat gets real hot real fast. Absolutely. Well, let's enter into the next category, which we've labeled clammy. There is a bundle of coaches in the clammy box right yes. now. So, uh, you know, we, we I don't know if we agreed or disagreed. I don't know if we put them in a necessary order. In fact, we'd encourage maybe our uh, listeners to agree or disagree with us. But let's just lead off with uh, Ann Arbor's finest. Yes. Uh that would be Jim Harbaugh. Um, he of the controversial takes this past week at Big Ten Media Day, and interest, he had some interesting things to say, uh, certainly. But that's not what we're talking about here, um, and I don't think it necessarily affects his, the the heat of his seat. Um, what does, though, is the consistently high expectations that he really has come up very short on in his four years in Ann Arbor. Um, the reason why I think his seat is is pretty is warm. I I should put it this way: I don't think anything's going to happen to Jim Harbaugh unless he decides it's going to happen. If he wants to leave and go to the pros, you can't really even predict that. Like if someone makes him a Godfather offer, like if the Colts came out of this year and made him just some crazy offer, or some NFL team is like, we're going to pay him more money than he could possibly make at Michigan, which would be a ton of money, and give him complete control. I'm not sure what the what Michigan could do to keep him around. That's probably the only way he leaves because they're never going to fire him. That said, if you're grading him on the scale that other coaches get graded on, his seat should be kind of warm. I mean, this guy, based on expectations, wrong or right, has has really not lived up to them. Sure, he's beaten MSU a couple times. That's he's, he's 500 against Michigan State. That's great, um, but he still hasn't beaten Ohio State. Still hasn't won his own division. Has never been to Indianapolis and uh, has routinely gotten smacked in bowl games. Uh, one in three in bowl games, including an absolute ass-kicking against uh, Florida this year. I mean, they finished they finished last year on about as bad a note as you can finish getting smacked by Ohio State and Florida, uh, neither of whom, by the way, were like offensive powerhouses a year ago. Uh, right. And they put up like 100 points. I think it was cumulatively over 100 points in those two games. So... Huge numbers, um, and yet they're getting all of the hype going into this year. Uh, now, again, to their credit, bring back a lot of talent. Um, they hired a new offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis, from Alabama. So sexy name, sexy location. Uh, certainly couldn't be looking at Doug Nussmeyer and thinking the same thing a few years ago. No, that's ridiculous. Um, but still, it's uh, it, it's there for them. And with, or so it would seem, with Ohio State, under all this transition, 
people looking at MSU and thinking, wow, they're coming off a bad year. Can their offense be any good? Um, by the numbers, they're going to get picked to make the college football playoff. They're going to get picked to win the Big Ten by a lot of people. Um, come up short of that, like, if he yeah. doesn't win 10 games this year, 10 games, beat Ohio State and Michigan State, if, yeah, so, I mean, but that's it might even be more than that. You know, he, uh, it's not, it's not a matter of, it's funny because Michigan has, as a, as a fan base or university has really come full circle in the past, uh, gosh, 15 years. They went from Lloyd Carr's nine win seasons not being good enough to that being the norm here with Jim Harbaugh and it not being good enough. Yep. And so, you know, at a certain point you have to look in the mirror and say, well, if it's not good enough, who can make it good enough? Yeah. Because there aren't the, apparently that many people, you know, that can or even want to be at Michigan. So, you know, they win every game, almost every game that they should. But like you mentioned, the problem is is they fall on their face on the big stage almost every time. So, that's why he's on the clammy uh, section. And, 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 and will be until the foreseeable future. Well, the thing is, he's got to beat – I mean, if you look at – so against, what, Michigan State and Ohio State. And Notre Dame. And Notre Dame, he's 2-7. and seven. And those two right. wins, those two wins come against Michigan State teams with a combined 10 regular season wins between them. So it's not like he's beaten a vintage good MSU team. They've beaten Penn State, I think. But like, like you said, they've come up small on the big stage, uh, and this is, you know, new offensive coordinator. Uh, that's kind of the key for them, and that's a big thing for Harbaugh. Like, if 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 the offense turns out to have been his problem, like that's what like unlocking them is what is going to make this team really good. And by the way, it sucks to hear, but that's definitely a possibility. Um, then they're going to do some really good things because it's a damn good team. But they lost a lot. They play they still play tough teams throughout the entire schedule. So uh, that high standard is he's going to be held to it. And I mean, if he comes out, you know, imagine they go ten and two or nine and three and lose to Penn State, Michigan State, and Ohio State. Like, not good. That's when things get a little contentious, and maybe it's best for things to get broken off. Now that'd be pretty wild, admittedly, but like you could, you realistically, a nine-win season could could send them in that direction, which is kind of crazy. I love it. I like to hear it. Huge fan. Uh, an, another head coach in our in the uh, Big East, Big Ten East division that um, is controversial uh, and has found himself on maybe both sides of the hot seat meter, but it's settled in nicely in the clammy section is James Franklin entering his sixth year. Um, he's also maybe not to the extent of Jim Harbaugh, but entering into a little bit of a put up or shut up situation as well. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, that he has done quite the job of bringing Penn state back to, to prominence, which, you know, he definitely deserves credit for that. But it's like you said with Michigan fans, you know, Penn state fans are used to, you know, justifiably so, historically, used to excellence. And they expect this team to be competing year in and year out with the biggest of the big boys. And uh, while he has gotten them a Big Ten title, uh, you know, two and three in bowl games, definitely had some some letdowns. I think last year was a pretty big disappointment with, you know, uh, senior Trace McSorley. He was obviously banged up a lot. But, you know, that that's a disappointment for them. But, um, 
you know, he, he's raised his standard to a pretty high level. And uh, if he doesn't live up to it, they're, they're uh, let's put it this way. There would be no shortage of suitors for a Penn State opening. Absolutely. So, you know, James is going to have to watch his six here because um, it's, it's winter go home time. Um, again, in the Big Ten East, gets that much crazier because well, there are, is another coach who is in a put-up-or-shut-up situation, yes. our own. That is Mark D'Antonio. Uh, he's right in the middle of this batch, and I think he's kind of right in the in the perfect spot in our rankings. Um, this I don't want to call this a put-up-or-shut-up year because I don't think unless unless things go 3-5 and five, or 3-90 and 90 again, uh, which I, I just think this team's too damn good to – they're too damn talented, especially on defense, for that to happen. Um, unless things go that sour, or really like seven wins or worse, and you don't see a noticeable improvement on offense, D'Antonio's like it's his thirteenth year. He's the third longest tenured coach in the Big Ten. He's taken Michigan State to places that they'd never been before. Three Big Ten titles, you know, Rose Bowl, Cotton Bowl, you know, college football playoff, you know, all of that great stuff. Um, he has earned the right, in my opinion, to call his own shots here as to when and how he decides to, to close out his tenure at Michigan state. I think based on a couple of comments he made at the big 10 media days, like definitely something he's thinking about. I would be personally kind of surprised if he's around for more than another three seasons after this one. Um, just me now, but that timeline, if things go wrong, could get moved up. I would not be surprised. And if things go really well, it could get extended. Um, but you know, he's bringing back a team that has, honestly, I don't think things have to, and we'll get into this when we do like our full season preview, but things don't have to go that right. Like the thing, not that much has to change for this team to be extremely competitive and get right back to a nine or 10 win type of season. Um, but it, it, that's just, that's just what I, th- those are my two cents. And I think one of the things that D'Antonio has to tackle uh, or as, as, that's put him on the hotter seat is all the stuff that's happened off the field. And, you know, he's denied it. He's been cleared of everything, but I think that has maybe made part of the fan base a little more, uh, you know, eager to potentially move on or or a little less tolerant of of a lack of success. So he's in an interesting situation, but I, you know, if things go right, he can get into that chili or even the Arctic real quick. But if things go wrong, I mean, I would not be surprised to see a lot of people calling for his head if things go wrong early. Well, here's, and here's why, let me clarify what I, when I say put up or shut up for Mark D'Antonio. Yeah, he's, he is in his 13th year and he has accomplished a ton and he has more or less earned the opportunity to at least part on his own terms. Yes. I think that said, <clears throat> you know, while he's had sustained success, it was a build to that success. 100%. And it was a long climb, as we all know. And and that's kind of how it works when you have a program like Michigan State, where you are um, going to have to fight a little harder and have guys that maybe aren't as highly um, regarded. And it's going to take a little bit more effort to build that momentum to get to those Big Ten title situations. And, and the unfortunate thing is, while it takes a while to get to the you know the top of the mountain, falling down can happen very quickly, and and you know that that comes in the form of like you were talking about with Wisconsin, two slippery years in a row, kind of ruins an entire foundation of work. Yeah. Um, 
not not in the sense that his accomplishments are not worth anything more in the sense of is that much harder to build back up and mark d'antonio is running out of years to go through those grind years of seven wins to get back to the big 10 championship type teams well Um, and i'll agree with you and extrapolate that on that a little bit um if you go seven wins or less this year that 10 win season that brian lewerke sophomore year that becomes a blip uh that becomes the nice Iowa spike every handful of years because you go back the year before that. That was three and nine, three and nine, ten and three, seven and six. I mean, you throw another eight and five, seven and six in there, and it starts to look a little funny. And where that really manifests itself is on the recruiting trail. This, I think, from a recruiting perspective, this is one of the bigger years he's had in 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 quite some time. Um, because the recruiting class after three and nine was understandably not great. The one that he's got coming in this year is, a, is, is losing out on kids to schools. It doesn't usually lose out to like Cincinnati. Luke Fickles picked off a couple kids recently. Kentucky's taken some guys, you know, you're not used to seeing MSU targets, especially on the defensive side of the ball, uh, you know, head over there. Now you can also always make the argument that MSU, turns two stars into NFL players, which they have done many times. Kenny Willekes, the latest example, um, no stars, walk on. Um, and, you know, that that does happen. But like you said, it's a grind. Kenny Willekes didn't contribute until he was a junior. That's right. Uh, I mean, he came out of nowhere. You can't count on that happening. Uh, and now if you bounce back this year, and like I said, you have a 10-win year, you're back on the road selling we're Big Ten elite, we're 10-win Michigan State. Why'd you doubt us? We're taunt, you know, flaunting one of the best defenses in America three years in a row, whatever it is. You know, There's a lot more to sell. Whereas if you're going in with a 7-5, and five, you know, your, your success, is, you're selling old success, uh, you're selling a head coach that might be leaving in two years, like it gets harder and you can see how that slide back into mediocrity uh, is not unfortunately all that unfeasible. Now it's all the good news here is it's all in their hands. And I think that we'll get into this obviously on a later podcast, but that defense is too damn good for this team to slip too far unless injuries absolutely tear them apart. And all the offense has got to do is be top 100 and they're going to be just fine. But D'Antonio, like you said, it is more of a put up or shut up than you would, you would expect for a guy who's been around for so long. Yeah. And the final thing that I'll say about it is, I think part of the frustration is you is is just watching a team go seven and six and literally being not even a competent offense, but just like a an offense that seemed interested away from nine or ten wins. Oh and yeah, I mean, just that's the frustrating part. Well, it the, was not one hundred percent lack of talent. Well, and you you have a lot of things to point to too if things go bad again. Uh, you point to all the staff, uh, you know, the lack of turnover, all that stuff. But on the flip side of that, if it works, if they turn in a top 85, I mean, call it a top 85 offense, uh, and you're out there averaging 26, 27 points a game, yeah. then all they of a sudden Mark D'Antonio is a genius. You've got staff stability of continuity. You have a ton of talent again coming back the next year. Like, you're kind of right back to where you yeah. were. Mark D'Antonio is a stay healthy-ish team away from, in my opinion, being right back in contention for a Big Ten championship. Stay healthy-ish quarterback. 
mo- most importantly. But more on that um, in the weeks leading up to the Tulsa game. Let's keep moving in um, our – we only have a few coaches to go. Also in the clammy seat is our uh, row the boat friend, P.J. Fleck, entering his third year at Minnesota. Yeah, uh, P.J., um, probably the thing he's selling most is that he's currently undefeated out of conference, sitting at 7-0. and um, Five and thirteen in the Big Ten, however, not great. Um, even though he took over a nine-win team, everyone kind of knew he had a big reclamation project uh, on his hands. But um, you know, last year a big step forward for them. Uh, won a bowl game, doing a lot more. Um, this is a this is again a, a big year that could go either way for him because if they come out and say they win the division or they go eight and four again for Minnesota, that's looking pretty damn good. Uh, but if they tank and the the boat starts to capsize i you got to worry about pj a little then he enters a true do or die year i think well i you know i think this year this for pj fleck it might be the biggest year for him of all big 10 west coaches if only because the uh the, the big 10 west is so seemingly open this year um there's no reason why any team outside of potentially probably illinois can't make noise um, and the rest of the head coaches are feeling pretty safe, if only, like we mentioned, is because they um, have already made some noise. It's PJ's turn to shine, and the enthusiasm has, I don't want to say worn thin, but it is certainly the honeymoon is over. So um, it's time for, for him to, to really get some, some more results beyond 5-13 and 13 in, a, in the worst of the two, uh, two divisions. Yeah, I would agree. It's... Uh... It's going to be an interesting one for you, Peach. Um, tough schedule, too. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, the last man on the clammy seat, he's in the bottom three here of all of our coaches, is Tom Allen. Okay, go ahead. Guess where Tom Allen's the head coach? Yeah, I didn't know either. Uh, it's Indiana. Um, <laughs> Indiana, it, this is, again, another assessment of um, – how do you feel like what what is success for your program and tom allen you know he's 10 and 15 in his three years or he's heading into his third year i should say right um sitting at 10 and 15 um four and 14 in the big 10 indiana always team chaos but their schedule again as we'll talk about shapes up to be pretty winnable this year to the point point where if they're not where if they're not in a bowl game tom's out the door gotta go i mean it is the most for considering they're in the Big Ten East, it is a very forgiving schedule. Yes. Um, as far as bowl eligibility goes. And that it should be and is the goal for Indiana football. So um, the table is set, and it's time for them to break through. And uh, I think that is the goal. You know, bowl game and beat Purdue, I, I think that's very reasonable. Yeah, for, I don't think that's out of, to want that. that's not out of the realm of possibility at all. So let's enter into Sweaty, and the only reason this guy is Sweaty is because he uh, just received a, uh, a a note of confidence, a vote of confidence from his AD, not necessarily because maybe they actually believed in him, but his buyout was so insane that they had no choice but to extend him further, and that is the genius that is Lovey Smith at I, Illinois. I give Lovey Smith so much credit. He's a top-notch grifter, man. To, to go to a school, to, to get an NCAA job when you have no prior experience there, coach for three years, win nine total games, and get an extension? 
good stuff. Dude, that is, I mean, dude, that is all-time bag securing. That is one of one of the more impressive bag securings you'll ever see. Um, to his credit, Lovey has a phenomenal beard. Uh, that's yeah, great. He's gotten a couple recruits, I think, but... Uh, Allegedly, people are coming to school to play football there next year. On yes, purpose. It's recruiting. On purpose. Yep. Yeah, if you can believe it. So, um, yeah, Illinois, you know, apparently uh, a school that has a football team. Not that we lost them a few years ago. It's not a big deal. Uh, but, yeah, so Lovey is – he's one that could get into that, like – this is a dude where if he can win seven games a year, he'll never get fired. No, All he's got to do is find a way to seven wins. I mean, I, we're not even close to talking about bowl eligibility, I'll be honest. But No, we're not. But, I mean – yeah, I mean, this is a guy who is currently sweaty on the hot seat meter and probably sweaty most of the time considering his stature. I would so agree. Seems right. But let's move on to our final and, and favorite category thus far, uh, which is our friend Chris Ash, who resides in the swamp butt category. Yeah, swamp ash. We probably should have called it. But well, that's I, good stuff. I digress. Um, Chris currently sitting at 7-29, and 29, has actually won three Big Ten games. You know the bar is extremely low when I'm kind of surprised you've won three games in your conference in three total seasons. Um, I just don't know what to say. Like, it's, it's Rutgers. I don't really know what else to, like, to say. Like well, if- here's, here's why it gets swamp buddy, even for him. They, I believe he went from... Uh, see a two win season to a four win season four and eight, which is was very respectable for mm-hmm. and slipped back to i believe one in 11 last year he was trending the right way if you could just think they were high on the chris chris ash train after year two four and eight whoo look out was singing their praises um but now it's 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 not great, and you know I believe I believe they're over under uh, for win total. Vegas has placed it at three, Oof. so it's not looking to get any better. Either. No, and it's just always going to be Rutgers. Like I, it sucks. It must suck. Like I was thinking yeah. about this as a Detroit sports fan. I was telling you, I think I'm the thirstiest fan on the planet for professional sports. I just want competency, like any of my teams. It's so difficult to watch like every team mired in either non-playoff making, historical ineptitude, or like the Pistons are the best right now and they're, I don't know, a six seed this year. Like that's fun. That's cool. But, you know, it doesn't it, it doesn't really matter. Um and then I just I can't imagine being a Rutgers fan forever and basically just getting Jeremy Ito, like that one moment, and then the rest of the time you're watching like the Detroit current Detroit Tigers, like that's just got to be so difficult. I'm great, and I, I love what you're doing here. A lot of great analogies. I mean, Thank you. I think the bigger problem for Rutger is that there's nothing really on the for me. Like there, I don't see a lot to point to. Hmm. You know, like last year, dead last in recruiting. If you, you know, I'm not a big recruiting guy, but the reason we're not big recruiting guys is because Michigan State is really the exception to the rule. 100%. I mean, all, all as far as being able to turn, consistently turn 
lower rated prospects into um, highly functioning Big Ten caliber all all conference athletes. Rutgers is not proven that. And when you continually finish, you know, this year or for going into 2020, they're 13th out of 14th in recruiting. Uh, last year, I believe they were dead last in recruiting. Um, in 2018, uh, I'm, they were 13th. You know, it's like you don't. I don't really see. There isn't a. There's no light at the end of the tunnel here with Chris Ashers, or seemingly so. So, um, you know, I I don't know what to tell you, Chris. I hope your buyout is as, as nice as Lovey's. Yeah, I just hope we can find ourselves in a like in a Yukon situation where Rutgers just just like, you know what, we've had enough. We're going we're going back to wherever it is that we came from. It's it's time. Uh I see them just not doing football. I mean, they the problem is they honestly just make so much money by being in the Big Ten that they'll never leave or get kicked out, especially to go to the ACC where the teams don't make any money. Um, I think that's fine. You know, I go to the I, Big East. Who cares? Like, go somewhere yeah, where you're going to win some games. Yeah, but they make so much money here. You know, and it's a shame. You know, and you know, I I'll go on record. I think it's really important that every conference have a perennial doormat. So mm, fair. It's it just helps you. Uh, it just helps you, I guess, have perspective. Grapple with um, reality. Like some things us, will always be this way. Well, that and like it's good for perspective. You know, like hey, well at least we're not. Yeah, we went three and nine that one year, but at least we're not Rutgers. They would no, love three and nine. True. You know, like that is. It's a, it, it's a nice thing to have. I'll agree with you. Well, John, that was fun. Uh, Guys, hope you enjoyed that. What? And all of those could change after week one. And they might. We will bring you updates as frequently as we can. Um, we'll be posting on Twitter the uh, updated Big Ten hot seat as necessary. Yeah, so just keep an eye on that. Um, next thing we want to get to is Big Ten Media Days. We alluded to them a couple of times as we were talking through here. Uh, a couple of cool things came out of it from an MSU perspective. The first is the team mantra, which was chase the moment. John. What are your thoughts? Sure. <laughs> Why not? Uh, <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, does it not seem like it's just four other sayings smashed into one saying? I think, you know, when you're going into your 13th year, how, I mean, how many more can you come up with? So uh, really, he, what he's done is taken the chase it, if right. you remember 2014. Yes. Great year. Vintage year. And just, I think he defined the word it. So in this case, it's chase the moment. So now I know what it was. Right. So now we're replicating 2014. I am. I like it. I can get behind that. Hey man, as I tweeted right after it came out, I said, as long as that moment is in the end zone, I'm I'm in. I'm in. Let's get a couple more of those. If the moment is worth six points every time, I am in. Um. Uh, so okay. then we had Joe Bocci, Kenny Willekes, and Raekwon Williams um, at Big Ten Media Days. Um, I don't know if there was anything crazy, that, any sound bites, um, but some news about all three we can talk to. Yeah, uh, I, go ahead. Joe Bocci, named to the Buckkiss Award Watch. Duh. Duh. I mean, he might be the best linebacker, not just in the conference, but one of in the country. So that was a obvious, but, a, but still great. Always cool. Uh, be recognized 
Yeah, uh, another one that was actually just announced today was uh, Josiah Scott being named to the Jim Thorpe Award list as well. Oh, so, heck yeah, yeah, that makes sense. another another big one there. Two cool little fun facts that came out though uh, for the other participants were Kenny Wilkes. Uh, they announced his brother Charles is walking out at MSU again. Sure. I, I support the family connection. MSU's always kind of done that. Seems like we've got a relic, a brother of somebody on the team at all times. So. Uh, Austin, Austin, didn't we talk last year about the possibility of starting a defense with all brothers? I think we could probably come pretty close. We're getting there because there is a, another dowel. Yep. So we can do that. We've got the Panashooks. If this, this well, we do. I mean, you can have an entire linebacking core of Bolos. Well, right. I mean, like, I, I mean, in one year. Oh. <laughs> well. <laughs> If Everyone we want to throw Charles Willickis out there, we've got seven members. We've got an entire defensive line. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. We are so close to everyone on the field having a sibling also on the field. I support it. I think historically you could definitely go back in the D'Antonio era and just pick brothers and definitely – you could get really close to a starting 11 on defense with just brothers. I believe it. We three do that. three dowels, three bullows, two panashooks. I know I'm missing other ones too. Absolutely. We're Didn't Lawrence, Lawrence Thomas's brother was a running back, so if we want to throw him out there somewhere. Why not? Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, and finally, Raekwon Williams announced his candidacy to for the next uh, mayoral election in Chicago. Um, Raekwon... Well, uh, it, did he say the next one or just that's a life goal? Yeah, maybe. What, either way, I'm voting for him. I, we get a write-in, and I'm still going to vote for him. Um, yeah, sure. he's uh, from Chicago, Chicago native. Said he wants to be the mayor of Chicago. I thought that was really cool. I, I forgot that he was a Chicago kid and when that was announced. And I was kind of a little surprised that David Dowell didn't get the look or that uh, maybe even Mike Panishuk. Um, just because they are, you know, really more featured in the media, guys that have been, you know, two, three-year starters, whereas Raycon is, uh, I guess he's still a two-year starter, third year coming up. But um not as a guy that you see put out in front of the media as often. Really was a pleasant surprise. Thought he was really well-spoken, uh, handled the cameras really well. And um, I've always been a fan, and I think you're looking at a kid that, um, you know, teams are going to love because he's personable, he's smart, he's he's got ambition, and and he's also really friggin' good at football. Yeah, and it's really cool when you see a kid who has goals, you know, big goals, not just within a sport. Um, I just was really impressed that, you know, he had aspirations beyond football that he's already figured out. Yeah, um, that's really cool. cool to have big goals like that. So, uh, we will be fronting, uh, the, the candidacy of Raekwon Williams when and if, and we are still in Chicago when that takes place. Uh, yep. he has our vote. Williams 2020. Uh, or 2040, whatever you want. Anytime. For 20, put your other two numbers in there. So there was talk of division realignment. Um, it was a hot topic. Um, we, I don't know, how did we, how, we had some thoughts. Were there, were you thinking that we needed alignment? Well, I will say this. If it means getting into what is essentially the Big Ten West right now, let's do it today. I've had enough of, I, I it, it's funny to me that, Coaches are finally coming out and saying something. Um, like I think James Franklin was the one who addressed it the most directly, uh, and he basically was like, "Yeah, it's kind of BS that we're 
that we're so loaded over here and, and they're not. And one of those teams gets to go to the championship every game or every year. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Now, there are some programs that are obviously um, supposedly on the rise. I mean, Nebraska's getting a ton of hype. Wisconsin's Wisconsin still. Uh, Northwestern's got a really good young quarterback. Minnesota's there. But, like, it's really kind of a joke. When you look at four of the top five, depending on how you want to slice it, are, are all in the one the East division. Mixing it up would be great. And we've talked about it before that there is there is a pretty logical flip if there's going to be a flip to, to shift the balance, and it does involve – Michigan State. I want to give you the opportunity to talk about it, though, because you've been hard at work on this for a long time. Sure. So, like, the top line is MSU and Purdue flip, and it balances itself out much, much better than it is now. Um, if you want to fast forward, like, five minutes and have me not go through it, I would encourage you to do that now. But, no, I'll make it quick. It, the long story short is, you know, looking at five-year, 10-year, 15-year, 20-year splits – if you flip Michigan State and Purdue, it's fairly even um, across the board. And, and that's what you're looking for is, is a win-loss percentage that, um, that, that is a little bit more even amongst the seven teams that are split. You know, people, people forget Purdue over the last 20 years was, is really, really, was really bad. <laughs> um, and, I mean, like, really bad. If you want to go back and, and take a peek at historically – um, how, how the Big Ten teams have played, it's, it doesn't look good for them. Um, whereas Michigan State has, um, you know, as, as you know as a listener, has, has leveled out here over the last 15 years or so. Um, but, yeah, the 20-year average, um, Purdue, even with the Jeff Brom days, or excuse me, not Jeff Brom, Joe Tiller days, uh, they, it still wasn't as good as you might have remembered. Um, Time has done well for Purdue to think fondly of the Drew Brees era. There was really, really only a couple of real decent years, um, but over 20 years, um, yeah, they're they, they're only 11th best in the entire conference. Um, Michigan State uh, sixth best in a 20-year average. Michigan State is fifth best in a 15-year average. Uh, MSU is third best in a 10-year average, and uh, unfortunately, sixth best in a five-year average. So. You can see MSU is fairly stabilized between, you know, about uh, four and a half-ish. But Purdue, unfortunately for them, is really more hovering in that 12 to 13th-ish area over the past 20 years, collectively splits. I think the biggest thing is, like, if you were to actually do realignment, geography is always going to play into it. And unfortunately for for MSU, there really isn't a super logical candidate aside from Purdue Mm -hmm. to to make that flip with. I mean, if you want to throw relative distance out, theoretically you could toss Northwestern's probably the only other team that realistically would get in there. Um, So if it's one of those two, I mean, I would assume – Purdue is the one to move because then you can have, you know, one of the big things in the Big Ten is protected rivalries. Uh, And, you know, you would give MSU the opportunity to make Michigan their protected rival. They'd still play Ohio State. Michigan still plays Ohio State every year. Um, And Purdue could just turn around and then have Indiana be their protected rival instead. So easiest one. Um, And it, it just, it makes it safer. If you're really interested in learning more about 
uh, a completely out-of-the-box thought that is very compelling. Check out Bill Connolly's writings on uh, changing to pod formats. Mm. Um, he fairly simply puts it, um, and, and, and he's a fantastic at explaining things, but really it's it's smaller groups of three or four that rotate yearly um, so that we don't go long stretches like we had of not playing Wisconsin or for six years or however long it's been. So, um yeah, it's a, it's a it's an interesting thought, um, but there were a few other creative uh, ideas, and we'll quickly go through them of how we could split teams up. One was we heard from our friends on Twitter. I think it was Zach Brooks, maybe who came up with um, all red versus non-red divisions. I um, would think that'd be great, except that I would hate it. I'd yeah, hate it. There's already too much red. The fact that there are six red teams is just so incredibly upsetting i'm counting minnesota in there yeah so yeah you want to give them a rune that's that's seven um then you have the human division oh, versus yeah. the animal rodent division mm. by mascots that's I, fairly easy i like this one this one lays out really nicely for msu so it's fighting illini hoosiers spartans Cornhuskers, buckeyes boilermakers and scarlet knights I feel like we're a cool second in that every year if not first and the other side is Hawkeyes, Terrapins, Wolverines, Gophers, Wildcats, Nittany Lions, and Badgers. Uh, all right, John, if you're who, which animal is winning that division? Forget the team. I got the Nittany Lions. Mm. It's the biggest. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Which one's getting destroyed? Oh boy, I feel bad for. Th- What's worse, a gopher or a turtle? The turtle can turtle. You know, the Great turtle just point. goes in the shell. Great point. The gopher, you're in. Tough, tough there are shape. also big turtles. Yeah, that's true. There could be snapping terrapins. I don't know. We don't know. Uh, we'll never know. The final one, which is my favorite, um, on Twitter, I'll shout out to at Big Savant, who gave the idea of making divisions of teams that have been to Indy and teams that haven't been to Indy. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting. We yeah. should consider it. Yeah. I mean... It's probably better to give those lesser programs a shot to get there more frequently. You, you, you got to feel bad for the Indianas, you know, the the Illinois, the Rutgers, the Marylands, the Rutgers, the Minnesotas. Yeah, you got to you know, throw them. And a then, uh, oh, then Michigan. No, there's no way they haven't made it. Yeah, is that a misprint? No, they they are the leaders in the best. I, you would think that, as such, they would have made it to the Big Ten Championship game where the best teams play every year, but well, I will look into it. That can't be right. There's no way that's right. I refuse to believe it. Dang, huh. Well, that's hmm. interesting. We'll look into that for next uh, next pod. Hey, you want to talk non-con schedules because it's July? Yes. Yes. We can, we can quickly do that. Answer, yes. Okay, so... You may not know this, but other teams play non-con schedules against bad teams. Sometimes they play good teams. Go on. Uh, I'm going to tell you about some of the more embarrassing non-con schedules in the Big Ten. And some of, uh, maybe some some uh, attaboys, some, some scheduling some tough ones. Indiana, we talked about hashtag 9win-deanna. Yep. Well, the only way they get to hashtag 9win-deanna is if they sweep what is one of the most embarrassing non-con schedules in the country, not just the Big Ten. They open with a neutral versus Ball State, a neutral. Now, I don't know what stadium you could play at for a neutral game between those schools. I'm I'm struggling there. But 
Ball State's very bad if you're wondering at home. I don't know who's who's what stadium's like. Yep, let's do it. I, I, a high school stadium, maybe. Ooh, that I, I'm in on that. Cool. Then they go and play Eastern Illinois, an FCS program, and then they play UConn, which might be the worst. Like, if you want to call the AAC a power conference, I don't know. It's the worst out of that out of that conference. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty embarrassing uh, slate here. So nine win Indiana, they got to knock these out. Um, I, in the Big Ten East, probably the most difficult non-con schedule actually goes to the Michigan Wolverines, in my opinion. I, I don't disagree with you here. It's it's uh, some ambitious scheduling. Not necessarily what Michigan's always known for, but uh, yeah, well done on their part. So they play uh, mid. Tennessee State, so brace yourself for all, uh, the, all the jokes on the Twitter. I'm not ready. I would. Ar- I'd like to just arm everyone. Um, if you know when it's coming, just say you know. Can't wait for Michigan State to schedule Appalachian State in hoops this year. <laughs> the end. So then uh, Michigan goes and plays Army, which has won back-to-back double-digit games. Austin. Yeah. The I'm troops support you, the troops. I'm going to tell you that Harbaugh is against the troops that that week. Wow, he's anti-troop? In fact, most Michigan fans are anti-troop that week. Yikes. You hate to see it. 100,000 people will gather to be anti-troop one day Mm. in in Michigan in the near future. It's You you really, honestly, we say this a lot, you do hate to see that. You would like to think, again, that the leaders, the best, champions of the West, still doesn't make any sense, would support... The troops support America's team, but I suppose not. Hey, you know what? Uh, we'll support the troops then that week, especially. Wow. I'm in. And, I'm and saluting then, my uh, computer right now. <laughs> Michigan does uh, get Notre Dame back on the schedule, who is, uh, a, I think everyone agrees, a top 15 team um, in the country. So they get them at home, but all in, that is a tough non-con slate. So, uh, but John... You're telling me that in back-to-back weeks, the University of Michigan goes from anti-troop to anti-Jesus. Wow. Is that what you're telling me? What Har- Be- What will Harbaugh not do or say? Because that's just... we got to take a long look at this university, folks. we got to ask some questions. Is it, is it a place that we want represented on national television? Such an openly anti-troop, anti-Jesus school as, as the new co-commissioners of the big 10 we may need to file to remove michigan after this egregious activity we will at least put it on the docket that much i promise you is part of our campaign promise more to come from uh the non-con schedules as we get closer to week one um but watch out for that army game and austin may talk about it in a minute um some another other egregious scheduling illinois in the big 10 west Hosting Akron at home, bad, at UConn. So UConn suddenly making a move to be in the Big Ten or something. Um, mm. I would I would want to go on a hot take. I'd keep Rutgers over UConn. Agreed. Well, they're I'm, joining They're joining the Big East in basketball, right? Sure. So what's the, where's the value? And then Illinois plays Eastern Michigan at home. That's a rough slate. Like, Yuck. that is not something you can be proud of. 
and yet Illinois still is like slated for three wins on the season. So yikes. Yeah, if you're not three and zero coming out of that stretch, just I mean, love you'll never quit because why would you? But uh, I might just can them on the spot. Pack it in. A uh, the Big Ten West actually non-con schedules are much stronger than the Big Ten East. Um, I think I, we decided that Purdue is actually might be the most difficult non-con. Um, they open at Nevada, which Nevada is not necessarily going to be great, but it's never a good idea to open away a few time zones over. Well, you know, it's just, and in Nevada, where it's going yeah, to be dangerous. muy caliente. Dangerous stuff. And then they play um, Vanderbilt. Now, again, I'll give you a bad Power 5 team, but a Power 5 team nonetheless, and then TCU um, at home after that. Normally good. Purdue. Yeah, they're good. DCU's decent. Purdue, the only team in the Big Ten to take on two Power 5 programs um, in the non-con. So good on them for that. But, uh, I mean, you got to feel like you got to feel like that's a tough slate to start, though. Yeah, I, I mean, of all of these, though, Michigan definitely going out, again, all jokes aside, Michigan uh, going out and scheduling definitely the hardest, in my opinion, uh, non-con schedule. Army for, you know, well, I'll talk about that in a second, but uh, playing Notre Dame, you know, that's tough. Playing Army's tough. Middle Tennessee State. It is funny to me, though, this is a pretty typical Michigan thing where they they're, didn't even consider scheduling an away game. I know they went to Notre Dame before, but like they they play like eight home games a year every year. Yeah, I mean that's kind of their mo. Um, but you know, it, neither did MSU. But hey, it's right. I mean, I'm not going to go on and defend Michigan on this podcast, so I'm just going to stop talking. Um, so any games that you see, you know, we we have them all laid out in front of us. But any of the games that you think might be an upset. So. Alert? I went kind of big in my predictions here because really the big boys are ultimately the ones that people care about. Um, I've got two, and they are the two favorites in the conference. The first is Ohio State. Now, they host Cincinnati in week two. Cincinnati, I believe, won double-digit games last year. Not bad. It's not a bad team. Luke Fickle, despite his little poor tenure at OSU, is a good coach who's built a solid program doing a lot of what Mark D'Antonio did in recruiting the guys in the state of Ohio that Ohio State didn't take. That makes a damn good team. That's right. As you've seen at MSU time and time again. Um, and so I think that that team has to go to the horseshoe, but like Cincinnati has so many of the old MSU tropes that they can roll out there where it's, you know, these guys are going to be extra motivated because they probably all grew up wanting to go to Ohio State. Uh, obviously none of them got the chance to, um, fickle has coached there before he's going to have them prepared. Uh, and it's game two of a new season with a lot of new faces for Ohio state. Now, again, they've all been practicing together all summer. They probably got extra prep time since this game is early in the season, but like, we don't know what Ryan day does with an entire off season. Like you don't know if that's good or bad. You don't know if Justin, we don't know if Justin Fields is actually good. Like we think he's good, but he might he might, he might not be good yet when they play. So, like, I think the combination of extra motivation for Cincinnati and, um, you know, inexperience at a lot of key positions for Ohio State could make this one closer than people expect today. And I'm going to make up a rumor that yes. maybe, maybe Luke Fickle, and I, this might be, actually be true, 
you know, just like his players, maybe he was passed over as someone for the Ohio State job. Well, I mean, he did get the interim gig, but then, yeah, Urban Meyer came back and, and he kind of bailed. So, um, I mean, for the Ryan Day gig. Yeah, well, I think the worst thing that ever happened to Luke Fickle was taking that interim job. I think he's a really good coach, and he kind of got a bad rap for taking over a really difficult position. Uh, I, I would go, yeah, that's probably accurate. Another upset I have on the, we already mentioned it, Illinois versus Eastern Michigan. Illinois is bad, folks. Um, they could be caught, I don't know, it's just going to be a sleepy game. I'm going to be the only one that's keeping track of it. I'll let you know when Illinois loses. Um, another one, Maryland at Temple. Um, Loxley, his first year. Um, Temple, kind of an established uh, mid-major, I guess you'd call it, right? Yeah. Um, and it's an away game. It, you better believe that Temple is going to be, you know, charged up to the max having a home game against a Power 5 school. It's a, it's a slippery slope. It is. I don't disagree at all. Temple, uh, again, consistently kind of recruits um, that Philly area really well in, in the Pits, uh, Pennsylvania. And they uh, their head coach just went to Georgia Tech, who, right. as we'll get to in the future, is one of my, one of my favorite teams. Um, and then quickly, quickly, uh, I'm, I'm nervous about every Minnesota game. Um, you know, I'm nervous for PJ. He's got San Diego State at home, always decent. And then he goes at Fresno. Again, don't travel multiple uh, time zones and play and play at night. This is a dangerous combination. We can talk about it from experience as Michigan State fans. Ah, uh, yes. Great memories. Then, really, really, just a good time. And then Georgia Southern, who has been consistently decent, I'm not afraid of them losing all these games. I am afraid of them losing one of these games, and they should be favored in all of them. So I'm nervous for Minnesota. You come out of that 3-0 and as P.J. Fleck, you're feeling pretty good, though, because you got to feel good about winning you know, problem is, four or five the, Big Ten games. The problem is is that you're on paper, you should be winning all of those games, right? Yeah. And no one's going to pat you on the back for beating San Diego State Fresno State and Georgia Southern. No, but if you want to get to where you need to be this year, you kind of have to win all three of those, don't you? I I would absolutely say yes, and I think it's gonna, they're going to be better wins than maybe they are given credit for. Yep, agreed. Any others upsets? I've got one more. Kind of touched on it a little bit a moment ago, uh, but that is Army uh, going into the big house and playing Michigan. Now, this sounds like trolling, but I, I promise you it is not. Um, people people forget that Army uh, won, I believe, 10 games a year ago. Well, this, I said back-to-back double-digit wins. Yeah, they won 10 games a year ago. Uh, and it's not like they fluked their way to 10 wins. Um, you know, they beat Air Force, consistently a good team. They beat Navy, won that one. And then in their bowl game, they beat Houston 70-14. to Oh yeah, I forgot. Seventy to fourteen. That was awesome. That is incredible. Um, and it's more about not necessarily the talent. Oh, the other thing they they took Oklahoma, Kyler Murray, Oklahoma to overtime last year. That was awesome. Twenty-eight, twenty-one. So what that score more than any of the other ones tells me, and in watching them, you know they run that uh, run-heavy option attack, and it is. Time uh, of possession-driven football. And that is also what Michigan likes to do historically. Now, again, they have a new offensive coordinator that could change. 
I have a hard time seeing it changing drastically, uh, but I'm sure it'll be a little more out there, whatever. Um, this is a game that you probably come into thinking, okay, it's just scheme. We just got to compete with scheme. But as we've seen against Air Force in the past, as Michigan's seen against Air Force, I believe last year they gave them a close game. Um, this is a tough scheme to defend. Uh, it's, it's Like I said, it's very time of possession heavy. And if you let them get a little lead, like it, it, it becomes a game very quickly. So, Wait, um, Austin, are you telling me that a team that has to replace a ton of talent on the defensive end, specifically at the D end, places mm-hmm. where you have to make big decisions in a triple option, plus a middle linebacker, yeah. and also it's the second week of the year, so not a ton of time to get their stuff together, Combined with a team that is very good at this option attack and is only getting better in the last three years, going from eight wins to ten wins to an eleven wins, who is very heavy, as you mentioned, with time of possession. If they can win that, you might be finding some people not so happy with the the new offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. and maybe not even as happy with the Shavier, Shave uh, Patterson. I, you might be hearing for people calling for Dylan McCaffrey uh, in and around this game. Well, this one just sets up so poorly for Michigan. This again, good on them for scheduling good teams, but this one is this one is tough for all the reasons you just said. Uh, and then on top of that, it's the week before Notre Dame, which you know is going to be getting all of the talk. It's probably going to be a, not, not true. I'm going to correct you there. It's not. They actually, it's not. They actually uh, Notre Dame is later in the year. Mm. Um, yeah, they they actually go to uh, at Wisconsin, I believe, after a buy. So, after a buy, okay, all right. So forget that point. Here I am looking at the schedule wrong. Um, so I'm dumb. But Army's still a good team. All the reasons you just listed are are huge, uh, and the expectations are high. So this is one of those things we were talking about before. Seat gets hot real quick. Um, I'm not saying Army's going to win, but Army could definitely put a scare into Michigan the way they did Oklahoma a year ago. I like it. So let's come back to Michigan State. Been talking a lot about other folks. Let's talk a little bit about uh, position previews. Talk me through the secondary. I think that's where we landed on to chat through this year. This is an exciting group. Um, yes. There's a lot coming back, and there's a lot of potential as well. Yes. So this is um, the 2019 version of the no fly zone to me is is a really high ceiling, low floor, maybe mid floor type unit. Um, the obvious ones that people know about, obviously, you know, two of the four starters from a year ago uh, left early for the, well, not left early, but both went to the NFL draft. That was Justin Lane, who got drafted in the third round by the Steelers, and Kari Willis, who got drafted in the fourth round by the Colts. Uh, MSU has to replace both of them. Uh, however, it does bring back two other starters, and that's multiple all Big Ten team guy, David Dowell, starting at free safety. Uh, and then the boundary corner, uh, Josiah Scott, who was incredible last year in the second half when he came back and really just has been incredible in every game he's played as a Spartan, um, is coming back to shut down the other corner. But what that does is it leaves two spots open in the starting lineup. And really for all intents and purposes, uh, a third spot that'll have somebody new playing it at the, the nickel corner that MSU plays uh, a lot. 
Now, we'll start at um, – well, I guess we've got a couple, three questions that we always try to answer here in this part of the, the podcast. The, the first is what position battle uh, intrigues you the most? And to me, the most intriguing one is the nickel corner spot. Um, it's the one that to me is the most up in the air uh, in terms of who's going to get the job. I think the odds-on favorite is probably Kalon Gervin, who was a redshirt freshman, was a four-star recruit a year ago from Cast Tech. Um, big name that people, honestly, it's funny with recruiting, you kind of forget about these huge gets after a year because the you know shine wears off, new object, new shiny toy. Kalon Gervin was a huge part of that recruiting class, as was... Another guy we're going to talk about who's probably going to start at strong safety. Um, but uh, this is a prime opportunity. You know, Gervin didn't come to MSU to sit. He ended up uh, playing, I believe, in all four possible games that he could have last year uh, and, and had a couple pass breakups, you know, really looks like the next big thing at corner. But he's also competing with a couple other guys that have a decent amount of experience, and that's Shakur Brown and Dom Long, um, two guys that have, like I said, played a lot. Uh, Trey Person also has been in that mix, but it looks like he's moved more to to safety. Um, now, what shakes out there to me is really intriguing because to me this is one of those really big moments for Gervin. Like this is his position to kind of lose, despite having a lot of other guys with experience behind him. He's the most talented. He was the biggest recruit, uh, and and he's got a great mentor in Josiah Scott, who's played this position before. So that one intrigues me the most. Uh, and which one scares me the most? Well, the position that scares me the most is that second cornerback, and that is the odds-on favorite to win the job is redshirt senior Josh Butler. Uh, he, of Instagram fame with his dogs, um, awesome dude. Seems He's a kid who has been through a lot in his life. If you want to look his story up, I would encourage you to do so. He's, he's really been through quite a bit as a, as a young man. Um, and what's interesting about him is is twofold first uh as a as a player you know he's a guy with a lot of experience but never really in a starting role he's he's played a lot uh of nickel he's played a lot as like kind of a fill-in and always done pretty well but you know he's been behind some big names throughout his career um like i said in lane and josiah scott you have two really good corners who are around for you know lane for three years scott for the last two uh, he's had some other upperclassmen in front of him. Darian Hicks was an upperclassman when he was young. So he's been stuck behind those guys. Uh, but this is, you know, kind of that classic fifth year, here's your shot guy. Um, but as exciting as that can be, that's that's kind of scary too. Because this is a guy, again, who, who has never been in this position. Um, but the, the second part of that twofold response is that, again, as a person, this young man has been through so much in his life that uh, his mindset and, and his maturity off the field, if there's one person who it's going to translate for, it's going to be Josh Butler because um, so much of being a great cornerback, you hear this so frequently, is forgetting one play if something goes wrong and bouncing back and being a great corner again on the next play. I think this kid's got the mentality to do it. He's got the body for it. Um, you know, if you don't know his story about uh, getting recruited at Michigan State, he's from Texas. And he actually drove up in like Coach D wouldn't make him an offer until he came to MSU to camp. So he actually drove from Texas to East Lansing for a weekend camp to get an offer and then got an offer and committed. Yeah. So pretty amazing stuff. Um, And really, that's that's the biggest key to me to this entire secondary. Um, Finally, the incoming freshman. 
that we're most excited about. This one was easy for me. This is Julian Barnett by a mile. Um, now, this kid could end up starting at wideout or corner. He's that good of an athlete, but he's one of the best recruits in the state of Michigan uh, from Belleville. Another kid from Belleville with Devontae Dobbs, Gabe Brown, that whole pipeline. Um, this kid's good enough to compete for minutes right off the bat. Physically, he is well beyond where he should be as a true freshman. Um, he will be in the camp in the fall, and if you haven't heard the name yet, you're going to hear it then because I think this kid's got a chance to push for immediate playing time. He could have gone a lot of places, and he came to MSU because of A, his teammates, and B, I think the chance to play right away. So, you know, if he steps up and you're looking at uh, four corners of Josiah Scott, Josh Butler, Gervin, Barnett, and then your depth is a guy like Shakur Brown, who's played a lot, Dom Long, and maybe some Trey Person. I mean, that's a, from a corner perspective, that's pretty, pretty darn good. How do you feel about the safety positions? Yeah, so safeties, again, we talked about Dowell. I mean, it doesn't get a lot more stable than David Dowell. I do think this will be an interesting um, an interesting test for him because he's played with Kari Willis his whole career. Uh, and, and Kari Willis, as we all kind of saw, was, you know, a rock, uh, a great tackler, maybe lacked a little bit in coverage, which is where Dowell kind of came in. But... Um, you know, captain of that defense, quarter one of the quarterbacks of that defense, huge influence in the locker room. Like, not having him back there is honestly probably one of the biggest, te- probably the actually definitely the biggest test this defense is going to face going into this year. But um, so Dowell, I think, is going to be as strong as it gets. I'm not sure you're ever going to get you know super perform. I don't think you're going to get like the seven eight interception year again. But um, I think you can get a steadying influence back there. Uh, at, at free safety. The other safety though, listen, you never want to lose a guy like Kari Willis and all the great things he did, not only on the field, but off the field, but the kid who's replacing him, Xavier Henderson, we've been talking about here for a year and a half. Um, said Kalon Gervin was a crown jewel of that recruiting class. Xavier Henderson was the crown jewel of that recruiting class. He's, he was so good that he didn't redshirt last year, played in most of the games, made a lot of big plays, played a ton on special teams, this kid is everything you could want in a safety. Um, he's so physically good. Like I'm not doing a one-to-one comparison here, but if you remember Jalen Ramsey from Florida state, obviously now of Jacksonville Jaguars fame, um, he played a lot of corner in college because he was that good of an athlete. And then, you know, he's, he's kind of moved around a little bit in the, in the, um, in the pros. I think Xavier Henderson is so talented that he could play either of these positions, but he's going to end up at safety because that's sort of the natural place for him uh, to be as an athlete right now and where he's practiced. Um, I think there's a chance that Xavier Henderson is ultimately as every bit as good as Kari Willis. Um, He's going to be better in coverage because he's just a better, more natural athlete. And the fact that he got to learn from and play with Willis for an entire year is is so exciting. Um, so I, I, I expect big things from him. But as a big picture with this group, I think, and we'll talk about this. Uh, we'll talk about the D line um, in in the future in a couple weeks. But if there's one position group that you're okay with, maybe having a little bit of inexperience or two new starters in, given the makeup of the front seven of this group of this defense, it's the secondary. Like to put it frankly, the the quarterbacks are not going to have a lot of time to throw against Michigan State this year. With that defensive line, the group they've got coming back, plus the depth they have, plus the creative mind of, you know, Mike Tressel back there still calling the defense. 
and Joe Bocci and, and I mean, you got two brothers speaking Polish to each other to coordinate stunts. Like you, you've got just about everything you could want. Brandon Boyer, Randall, uh, Antoine Simmons, like you, you really have it all. So, um, the secondary will be the ones to benefit from that. And I think the biggest thing, well, not biggest thing, but on top of that, you've got a corner in Josiah Scott who can shut down this whole thing. I mean, he's going to take the best receiver. Um, I don't know how much they'll follow him around. They don't typically do a ton of that, but you've got a guy who can shut down anybody in the big 10. Um, and where I really think it's going to be interesting and where specifically Dowell and Henderson will have a lot of opportunities is uh, to really make plays on the ball and, and force some turnovers because there's going to be a lot of quick passing, uh, a lot of running right up the gut, I have a feeling. Um, and when that stops, it's going to be uh, a lot of that quick passing game. I, a lot of bubble screens, a lot of just short slants, um, little stuff like that. There's going to be a ton of it, and that usually falls on the safeties as like a, a main responsibility. So they're going to have the chance to make uh, a lot of plays this year, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them both have – you know, I said earlier, I don't expect David Dowell to have seven or eight turnovers, but I still think he could make uh, a lot of big plays this year. So while there are some questions to be answered here, and you, I, ironically, I'd probably rank this as the third of the three groups on defense in terms of how you feel about them, but it, it's still pretty damn high because the other two are pretty close to a 10. So, so that's a great point, and, and we'll leave it at that, as this is the group uh, of, of the defense that, you know, has the most questions to answer coming into this year, but is anchored by a, a Thorpe Award watch list boundary corner and is universally uh, a top five uh, secondary going into the Big Ten, um, top five in the Big Ten. So if your biggest question mark is a top five um, unit in the Big Ten, yeah. you're, you're in good shape. Yep. I strongly agree with that. Yeah, this is this will be fun. I think uh, there will be some new names that people learn this year that that they'll really like on defense. So very excited to see this group grow up. Folks, it Folks, was fun. This was fun. We went a little longer this week because we wanted to give you people some content. We love you very much. Um, yeah, next week we're going to have you help give us some more content. Yes. Um, we will be doing more position groups, probably linebackers next week. Yeah, I think next week we'll do linebackers. And we're going to need your help, um, and we'll put this out on Twitter as well, but we need to hear from you. Um, we're going to be previewing why uh, every program that we play that coming week sucks, but because we don't play Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, or Purdue this year, we still need to hear why they suck. Yes. So send us you know, via Twitter or uh, via the comments in, in, uh, at theonlycolors.com why Iowa sucks. Give us, us your best sentence or two don't limit it to just the football team and we'll read the best uh, responses on the on the pod yes i can't wait for that it's one of my favorite things that uh deadspin does every year we want to bring it to you guys here so um john this is fun we'll do see it again, again next, next week, week huh? yeah we'll see you around all, all right. right go green all right guys uh for john this has been austin Follow us on Twitter at ACSmith06, at John underscore Kirby, and at The Only Colors. We will catch you guys next week. See ya. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. 
And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.